Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Northern Ireland, 1969. Britain sends in troops and the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, founded to fight for independence from the United Kingdom, assume position. The troubles intensify. After years of violence, peace between the two countries was agreed on Good Friday 1998. This peace has been upheld. The cultural and religious divide still exists, but the lines have softened in recent years. The percentage identifying as neither Catholic nor Protestant has even increased. South of the border, Irish republicanism is represented in the Dáil by Sinn Féin. Historically, Sinn Féin was associated with the Troubles and the IRA, a party rooted in the past that didn't match the progressive, outward-looking narrative that the two main parties, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, were trying to form. In their eyes, Sinn Féin had seats in the Dáil, but no place in Irish politics. It's a narrative that has existed and been voted on for our entire lifetime, until now. The snap election of February 2020 will go down in Irish political history. Off the back of a housing crisis and public services at breaking point, the party won a record 24.5% of the popular vote, meaning more people gave them first preference than any other party. It was a result even they didn't expect. Although the Irish people voted them in, they didn't run enough candidates to govern. If they had, my guest would be speaking to me today as Taoiseach. Now, Marilu, as an economy and as a society, how would you describe Ireland right now? I would describe our country as divided um, between the haves and the have-nots, divided between those that are on the insider inside, the entitled class, uh, and the rest of us, the people on the outside. I would describe our island, obviously, as partitioned. I would describe our country as one brimming full of potential, um, with so much... Uh, skill and talent and ingenuity, much of it as of yet untapped. I would describe us, despite uh, everything that we as a society have been through, in, including the recent uh, pandemic, as a society in a country that is fundamentally and in the last driven by optimism and hopefulness. Um, and I think it is that optimism and hopefulness and, and that reaching for something new and something different and something better that will stand to us in the end. So it's it's an island uh, of, of two stories, I suppose. Um, it is an island that uh, has a, a very rich and in some respects a very troubled past. 
and it is a, a society and an island whose future now must be shaped by those of us in the here and now, uh, by politics, by activism, by community, by grassroots in the here and now. And I, I, I think it is, uh, we live in a country and a society that can that can reach its promise and I'm I'm very energized and excited by that Mm, and it's young people that we often associate with energy and excitement how do you think they're feeling right now you know for those unsure maybe what the next academic year might look like in practice to those whose jobs are at risk at seemingly too big to fail companies tech companies specifically that, that we thought were invincible how do you think young people in Ireland are feeling I think they're feeling anxious. Um, I think much of their anxiety might stem from a, a fundamental lack of trust in those that are entrusted to do the right thing for the majority, for the many and, for, and not for the few. Uh, I think certainly looking at the housing situation uh, for those that wish at some stage to to buy their own home, but also for those that rent. Um, the situation looks uh, very, very difficult. Um, I think if they follow politics, they realise that the current government is no different to the last one that they propose to uh, pursue the same policy agenda. Um, I think uh, in the world of work, they, they may reflect on the fact that many, many of the jobs available to them are insecure and are low paid. But they will look also to the, the, the big tech and the big pharma that's in our in our economy uh, and may look for work opportunities there. But equally, they may look for opportunities uh, as self-starters and entrepreneurs. And in each of those categories, there are big, big uh, challenges. I think in terms of the next academic year, uh, I hope they take heart from the fact that everybody will be back in September or October uh, in terms of some of the universities. But why, quite what that uh, academic year uh, and that year in the life of a student is going to look like, we can't be exactly sure of now. So um, I, I suppose for, for younger people in particular, there are particular challenges that face them in their in their lives and they're different than the challenges that, that that young people of a generation or two ago may have uh, faced. And in, in some cases, they're more acute and they're more troubling than previous generations. So I, I just hope that younger people, many of whom came out and voted in the last election for the, for the first time, uh, won't lose heart and won't be dispirited because despite... Uh, those that may wish it to the contrary and um, the big changes that we need are absolutely possible and by the way in in my view will be will be largely driven by younger citizens informed bright determined younger citizens and what should government be doing for them at this time specifically i think firstly listening to them um it strikes me that uh, despite the fact that uh, for example, the political system knows that the average young person, and by that I mean people under the age of 30, will really struggle, and indeed some older than that will struggle just to meet their rent or to have any prospect of home ownership and a secure roof over their head. Um, I, I think the political system 
the political establishment and those that are currently in government don't really listen or understand that experience. Uh, and therefore, they don't respond in an appropriate and an adequate fashion. I think um, we as a society and, and, and those that govern have to decide for a society and an economy that offers decent work and a secure basic income. I think as a society, we have to decide for equality of opportunity. Um, I think we have to decide for citizens' individual liberties and freedoms, but also to decide in favour of the rights of communities and, and those things that, that bind us together, public services, for example, that we rely on, have to be properly resourced and have to work and function. And um, I, I think the voices of younger people articulate all of these messages and, of course, the big message of climate justice the need to heal our planet um, and to, to bring to a halt the, the, the huge damage that has been done over decades and generations now. I, I think that politics and message is quintessentially articulated by younger people. And finally, the, the message of Irish unity, of an end to partition and the beginning of something new, uh, a society that is fundamentally based and designed and, and functions on the basis of equality, on the basis of opportunity. Um, and I think that's a very exciting opportunity that, that we will have in the coming years. And I think it's something that younger people must be to the forefront in driving. Mm. Now, uh, multinationals in Ireland have brought young people a huge amount of opportunity and you're not pledging to to change the tax rate but they do employ a lot of younger people yeah. so you know is there a fear that that a vote for Sinn Féin could be voting themselves out of a job if if Sinn Féin aren't totally on the side of multinationals? Well, no, uh, actually, on the contrary, uh, I think if if you examine our policy platform, what you will find is that Sinn Féin is, in fact, very pro-jobs. I mean, we, we represent working people. We, we better than others understand that working people have to have places to work. Um, we are, are very proactive in supporting SMEs. Um, in supporting micro-businesses, social entrepreneurship, all of those different models that actually provide the backbone of employment, not just in Ireland, but indeed across uh, Europe. And in terms of multinational investment, I would be, and we would be the first to acknowledge the huge value of foreign direct investment. The fact that, yes, the multinationals employ large numbers of people and afford great opportunities uh, to people and, and in some cases are, you know, the, the major employer in, in different areas in the, in the island. And we don't want to discourage that. Uh, as you say, we are, uh, we are not proposing a raise in the corporate tax rate, for example. Um, but we also know that our workforce and our younger people in, in particular bring a lot, of, a, a lot to these multinational enterprises as well. I mean, they're not just in Ireland solely because of the corporate tax rate. They also come here because we have very strong demographics, a very young population and a really well-educated population. So 
um, our policy makes far from causing any danger or jeopardy to young people's fortunes and their prospects of having good, secure um, work and good, secure uh, career prospects. Actually, the, the contrary is the point. We want everybody at work and not just that, we want people in jobs that actually give them the means to have a decent standard of living. Mm. Now, there's probably a few industries, but is there any areas of work that Sinn Féin think maybe have been neglected in the last few years and, and industries that you'd like to, to put more funding in if you were in government? Yeah, I, I think, um, and it's been widely commented, the whole area of um, apprenticeships has very much been neglected and, and that needs to change. We need the right skill mix in our economy. So just as we need, you know, surgeons and doctors and lawyers and barristers, equally, we need very highly skilled uh, trades people. So we need we, our, our plumbers and our and our carpenters and our our painters and our our, our masonry people. Um, and it, it's very very important that we invest fully in those um, apprenticeship uh, opportunities right across every sector, um, because that is how you actually tool up your economy, uh, not just to have you know to grow in fits and starts in bursts of activity but to actually sustain a steady growth uh, pathway into into the future. So I, I think that's one area that needs to be looked at. The other area that I would cite is the whole area of the arts and culture. You know, we are, uh, as a small island people, we are blessed with um, such a rich, not just history of um, artistic uh, excellence and attainment, but also in the here and now, we have an incredibly vibrant sector in in the arts across all of them music literature the performing arts right across the whole the whole um the whole scheme of things and yet i, I don't believe that we capitalize at all at all on that huge asset that we have available to us and i mean that in terms of the arts and education the arts as part of the wider community effort to in terms of community development but i also mean uh, in terms of our our tourism of course when it resumes um and our attractiveness as a destination for investment in 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 every in every facet so i think there's work to be done there they they exist at the moment on a wing and a prayer very often our artistic community and let's be honest, I think all of us would acknowledge that people wouldn't have made it through certainly the period of lockdown without uh, what the arts produce to comfort and to assist people through the hard times. And then finally, um, the whole area of enterprise and social enterprise. I don't believe that 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 policymakers have attached the necessary um, importance to those sectors either, because I, I have seen at first hand the kind of um, innovation that can come from those sect from the third sector, if you like, and it feeds into not just kind of niche economies, but into the mainstream uh, economy. And huge things can be achieved by social entrepreneurs, but they have to have the support and they have to have the space to grow. Mm -hmm. What is the one Sinn Féin myth that you'd like to set the record on? 
Oh my goodness, there are so many. <laughs> where, where do I where do I begin? Um, I think the idea that we are somehow a, a very closed party that's run by some mysterious or shadowy cabal. And this is a, a line of argument that's advanced by our political opponents all of the time. And just to put it very simply, it's not true. Uh, we are a very large political organization. In fact, we've grown from a small party to sort of a mid-range party to a large party relatively uh, quickly. So we now have a, a very large uh, membership. We're organized right across the 32 counties. We come from every walk of life. And I mean every walk of life. Um, all of the professions, all of the trades, homemakers, people who are out of work, old people, young people, women and men. And in fact, I'm, I'm very pleased to report that increasingly as, as time moves on, we're more and more diverse each time. I'm, I'm very proud of that. And I'm the party leader. And I report to the Ordesh, which is the, the delegates from across the party. And I am the boss. I, I hope I'm not too bossy, but I am the boss. Uh, and we have a, a national structure that's open, that's democratic. And anybody who wishes to join, who shares our objectives of Irish reunification, of social justice, of equality and fairness, uh, any citizen is, is quite free to join. So that's who we that's who we are. Is there a specific profile of Sinn Féin? Sinn Féin voter today you know you think back on the the landslide of the last election you know I, I don't know if anyone could have called it so you know what does the Sinn Féin voter look like today? I, I think it's um there probably was a time where you could um choose um sort of the typical Sinn Féin voter you know um but but that time is now gone because we draw support right across the country urban and rural uh, younger people i mean we've a very strong vote amongst the the younger voter but older people vote for us as well so there is no one stereotypical voter but what, what those who vote for us do have in common is that they have made an active conscious decision that they want change. And I don't mean that in some kind of fuzzy, non-specific way. I mean, very specifically, they want a housing um, market that works for ordinary people. They want public health provision. They want reasonable and fair uh, and secure income levels. They want to know that having worked all your life at the age of 65, you have the option to retire. Not that you're obliged to, but that you have that option. And above all else, they, they want a government that actually is in touch with the real lived experience of people out on the ground. A, a government that does things differently, uh, that is not in hock to vested interests and to all of the big you know, establishment players, but actually that will be a government unapologetically that acts on the interests of the people so that's the kind of that's the feeling the sentiment and the view i think that actually binds people who vote for us but as for saying that a Sinn Féin voter is typically you know is mm -hmm. a man of mm -hmm. such an age living in a certain district no that's not true that that those times are are long gone mm -hmm. would you encourage any of your own kids into politics 
I, I certainly wouldn't discourage them, um, but they 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 live in a political house, and as much as their mo- their mother is a a public figure, so they have, if you like, uh, a ringside view of of how all of this works, you know, and and how disruptive it can be to family life and how tricky it can be. But they also see the great uh, the great reward and the great honour that it is to be elected to represent people and and the the honour to be elected to to lead your 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 party so i wouldn't put them off to them that it's it's um you know it's it can be a tough life so you, you have to brace yourself you have to be prepared to take as they say the rough with the the smooth and above all else i would say to them that you make it on your own merit you know and you make your own decisions my kids have have their own political views they have had since they were no age surprise surprise and they don't always correspond with mine by the way so i i like to encourage them to think freely um and to be their own people and let me tell you that's that's exactly who they are and how they operate mm. has the last few weeks caused you to reflect in any way on on the the kind of pie chart of your life and the balance if it exists Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, I think the last number of months have, I suppose, challenged all of us to to stop and take stock. And certainly in my, in my case, that that was very true. I mean, I unfortunately got sick mm-hmm. um, now, very fortunately, and I am extremely fortunate that I came through um, relatively unscathed. Um, I'm so conscious of people that lost their lives or that lost loved ones. I mean, my goodness, and, and in the most difficult and traumatic of circumstances you know other people lost work lost income Mm. you know their businesses are still under huge pressure so each of us in our own way and I'm no different has has, have had cause to sit back and take stock so for me the take the take home message is you know it's okay to slow things down a bit Mm -hmm. you don't have to be constantly frantically you know, working and um, on the go, it, it, it's okay to take things down, down a notch. Mm-hmm. And also uh, I've learned that, you know, the simple things, waking up in the morning and feeling well, you know, I value that now, like perhaps never before being able to go and visit my mum and have a cup of tea or to see my sister or to see a friend. And, you know, because th- so many of those really basic things, do you know, the small things mm. that make your life yeah. what it is. Yeah. We were denied those for a period of time. So certainly I can speak for myself. I have a whole new appreciation of all of those things, the smell of things, the sight of things, yeah. the freedom to move beyond two kilometers or five kilometers mm. of your home. So I think that's been a good thing for me. That's been a good thing. Mm-hmm. Now, all of our fates are, are in the hands of this virus at this point in time. But as best you can. What question, just looking broadly again, what question does Ireland need to ask itself to be a great country again? You know, we're we're not in the best of shape as no country is that has been impacted by this virus. So if if there is one question that you think we all kind of need yep. to, to ask ourselves, that can be economically, socially, politically, a mix of all of all of the above. Well you see, I, I think we we have we have to address all of those strands, the economic, the political, the social, the cultural. And for me, the overarching question is, can we change? And when I say that, I don't, I'm not talking about throwing out the baby with the bathwater. I'm not talking about not acknowledging the things that we do excellently 
and the ways in which we have achieved in Ireland. But, but I think this pandemic begs the question of us in those areas where obviously we have fallen short, obviously we have failed, can we change? Or are we prepared to simply repeat the mistakes of the past again and again and again? And part of um, our collective moment of like struggle and real hardship, as I said earlier, for so many people, but also that moment where we were all forced to stop and, and take stock. I think that moment is all about assessing personally, but assessing uh, on, a, on a whole of society basis, you know, where are we? And in each of the areas, economically, socially, that, that I think of, the question for me is, do we have the capacity to change? Can we accept that change is now necessary, urgent? And are we up for that? Are we up for that as people? And I really hope the answer to that question is yes. I do as well. Mary Lou, thank you so much. We'll leave it there. My pleasure. Mary Lou is in the unusual position of being the party leader the majority of Ireland want as Taoiseach, but she isn't. The election victory that was a shock to Sinn Féin themselves, combined with parliamentary maths and the two main parties refusing to govern with them, means she isn't even part of the coalition in power now. Sitting as party leader on the fringes of power doesn't get any easier. Sitting there when the electorate democratically voted your party into government certainly must be difficult to swallow. I get the sense that Mary Lou, probably helped by her grounded, easygoing nature, isn't bitter. The people of Ireland have given Sinn Féin their vote in historic numbers. She is looking on at three parties, learning how to work with each other and learning how to manage a combined health and economic crisis all at the same time. The stakes are high for life and livelihoods in Ireland right now. Would Sinn Féin be doing a better job if they were in government? Impossible to know. If this coalition proves it's not cut out for the job, will she be Taoiseach after the next election? Guaranteed. That's it for Rethinking Ireland from the politics side of things, produced by myself and Sarah Madden, recorded at Collaborative Studios in Dublin. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.